Dear Lord God, thank you so much for another evening that you've given unto us. Thank you that you've allowed for us to come and gather with you. I pray, God, for each and every person on the sound of my voice. I pray, Lord, that their ears are open and ready to hear, that their hearts are open and pliable, ready to receive. I pray that each word that comes forth from my mouth is as a seed that is sown upon good ground. Let it penetrate the hearts of those on the sound of my voice. If there be any people on the sound of my voice who have yet to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior, I pray that you will open up their blinded eyes, that they may see the truth for themselves. They shall make a confession of their faith, and, and in that, Lord God, that you shall set freedom and make it true in their lives. The Spirit of God shall dwell with them and all things shall be new. Condemnation shall be taken off and it shall just be worn away, O oh God. May all things just be glorified in your precious name. May you be glorified in this time that we have and may you be blessed in this and everybody in agreement who believe all those things through and by the authority of Jesus we pray said amen. Amen. Y'all can sit down. Now, I was at the Upper West Side campus, right, Upper West Side, this morning, and I told them, like, I'm from Mississippi. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm Southern, so if you hear a twang, and you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know what that is in NYC, because, you know, I've been up here more times, and praise the Lord, uh, than I probably wanted to, but it's... <laughs> NYC is different. I'm a southerner. You know, when you bump into somebody, you say, excuse me, not here. When you bump into somebody in NYC, you just keep walking. You do not show weakness here. You do not. You got to stay straightforward with it. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. If you charge your Bible up last night, then go ahead and, and take it out and click that Bible out. Whatever you have, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is The Bubble Coat. The Bubble Coat. The Bubble Coat. We're going to look at, we're going to go uh, Genesis chapter 1 through verse 13. You ready? Yeah. Y'all ready? Yeah. Perfect. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? She replied to him, of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's the only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will what? Die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God. And isn't that one of, the, one of the, the problems we have today that we want to be like him? We want not, 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 not necessarily we want, we want to be like him in forming our likeness in that we truly want to be Christ-like, but many of us, we just want to be God for ourselves. But he says, you shall be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. They felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? That's a question of position. 
Because if we were to go back and look, look further and look, uh, look prior into Genesis, we would see that God created man in his likeness and, and, and in, his, uh, in his image. After he created him, he created a place for him to dwell. He created the Garden of Eden, and now he placed man in the Garden of Eden. He says, now I'm not only just giving you, I'm not just giving you identity and how I created you, but now I'm giving you purpose and responsibility. I'm giving you a position, man. I position you in the place where I want you. So where I placed you is where I purposed you. And I didn't just purpose you to be here to do nothing, but I'm giving you a responsibility. Adam, cultivate. Each and every one of us, God has given us a position, the place where he wants us. In 1 Corinthians, he says he places each member in his body where he desires, not where you desire. I hate to tell you this, but you don't choose the church, but God chooses the place where you're supposed to be. He chooses the city you're supposed to live in. That's the type of environment. That's the type of lordship. That's the type, that's the type of relationship that we have with him that he gives us position. But then not just in position, but he says, I put you there for a purpose. God did not call... He, he called no, no man or no woman to be lazy. He says, within the position, I'm giving you purpose and I'm giving you responsibility. Yeah. Adam, where are you? Why are you out of position? Wow. Verse 10, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you, eaten a, have you eaten from the tree of whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Who told you that you were naked? Who have you been listening to? Have you ever been around those friends or those people in your life and you're like, hold on, you, you're changing. What, what's going on with you? You were never really like this. Like, you, you, you never said these things that you're saying now. Your theology's changing. You're turning into this one world universe type of, type of thing. Like, who, who have you been talking to? God says, who are you talking to? I mean, this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Where are we getting our information from? Because many of us, we build a popcorn theology. It's one that's just based on, you know, as many characters that we can read on Twitter. That's, where, that's, as high, that's, the, that is the, that's the depth, the depth of our theology in, in, in the age that we live in. It's a mile long, but it's only an inch deep. I have people, they tell me all the time, they said, oh, Cornelius, you're too deep. And I look at them and I say, with all due respect, maybe you're too shallow. Well, with all due respect, you know, you have to say it with a smile because they want you to love them, so. <laughs> oh, Cornelius, you're so heavenly minded that you're, that you're no earthly good. Well, praise the Lord, I'd rather be that than to be so earthly minded. I'm no heavenly good. But who am I listening to? Where am I getting my words from? Where am I feeding from? Am I eating from the garbage every single day? Am I taking in what they say on the radio and on the news? Am I being fed a narrative? Let me tell you something. Television tells you a vision. They're giving you the vision they want you to know. The radio, they're feeding. It's, just, it's, it's, it's all controlled. It's just a controlled substance. They just have you addicted to it. Whatever they want you to believe, it's news stories popping off every single day. Trust me when I tell you, they're picking the right ones to cause this great amount, as much division as they possibly can, because division, whether you like it or not, chaos can create controversy, and controversy creates cash. It's all a system. It's all a system. Who are you listening to? Because, you know, we get to that point where it's like, hey, pastor, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. I have people who actually told me, they said, I don't want to hear that stuff about praying anymore. So did you lose faith in it? Because God didn't. Yeah. The scripture actually says, if, if my people will humble themselves and to pray, the, 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 fact, the, the thing is, is that we don't want to humble ourselves. We want to stay in pride and complain. Yeah. 
And nowadays, if you don't put it on social media, you're not doing anything, right? <laughs> Did you pray for Puerto Rico? Well, I put it on Twitter, so I guess God's happy with me. That's the depth. That's the depth of our Christian relationship now. That's the depth of our Christian, of our Christian faith. Do we put it on Twitter? Did you, did you pray for us today? But yeah, but did you give anything? It's like, is that the depth of my, of my Christian relationship? But God's saying, who are you listening to? And then he says, have you eaten? And he says, who told you that you were negative? You eaten from the tree? Verse 12, the man replied, it was the woman who gave me the fruit and I ate it. It's the woman. And isn't that one of the other maladies of our world today? Passing off the responsibility to somebody else. It's the woman. I mean, I told God in the beginning of my marriage, because, you know, people believe that my wife and I, we never have arguments, which is so far from the truth. <laughs> I'm in my prayer closet. I'm looking. I'm, I'm praying to God. I'm saying, God, I could do so much more if this, but this woman you gave me, she's always challenging me. And <laughs> this is woman you gave me. That's the problem. It's her. It's not me, because when I was single, I was perfect. I can eat as many oatmeal raisin cookies as I want. Now, all of a sudden, I have her coming in the room judging me. I'm sitting down with a whole box of vegan oatmeal raisin cookies. My wife walks in. She says, she says are you going to eat all of those? I'm like, well, I would unless you selfishly want to ask me for one. I should have bought your own cookies. You don't even eat the... My, my wife comes in. She loves to eat. She'll take a cookie, oatmeal raisin cookies, which are the best cookies in the world. If you don't like that, then salvation is available for you. She takes oatmeal raisin cookies. She takes the raisins out of it. I'm going to move on because I just felt bitterness caught up in my heart. So this is this woman you gave me, God. And then and check this out. Check this out. Then the Lord God asked the woman. So now God's moving down the line. Okay, Adam, you're passing responsibility to her. Okay, you're passing responsibility. Where are you taking this to? The Lord God then asked the woman, what have you done? And then she said, it's the serpent who deceived me. So let me just pass it down to him. All right, serpent, I, have not, I, I, now have, I now have a consequence for you. But she says, you gave it to the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate it. Now, I have eight key things that I want to pull out of this, and I want to explain to you why I call this the bubble coat. The first thing is, is that God gives us instructions so we can live. Believe it or not, but the First Amendment right that we have in this country, we can say it how we want to. We can have the freedom of speech and how we want to do it. It doesn't matter because God, you know, it's, it's, this is just fine. It's, it's my right to be able to say how I want it when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when it comes to his church, there is order. Many people live within a false freedom. It's, a, it's, it's, just, a, um, it's just hedonism. Eat it, drink it, smoke it, have sex with it play with it, talk about it, any type of way that you want to. But when you come to the word of God, the word of God, while we have freedom in Christ, it's a righteous freedom. It's a righteous freedom that says, I could, but I won't. See, that's true strength. I had a, I had a woman, she, she came up to my wife and I, she was like, I like the way you guys talk about submission because that, 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 that. And we, my wife looked at her and she was like, sweetie, maybe, you know, it could be that, you know, maybe, maybe you don't have the right idea about submission. No, I understand submission. My wife looked at her and she said, you know, submission is truly strength under restraint. See, let me, let me explain something to you. Submission says I could pop off at you, but I choose not to because I'm strong enough to have self-control which is a fruit of the Spirit. So I'm strong enough to be strengthened by him so that I don't have to come, at, to come back at you. I want to, but I won't because I have strength. Yeah. 
Any fool can argue. And can I tell you something? The only one who wins a foolish argument is still a fool. Any fool can argue. Any fool can pop off at the mouth. Any fool can say what they want to say, however they want to say it. And you know the usual thing we say, because I used to say it all the time, well, I just can't help it. If, it, if it's up here, it just comes out here. The problem with that is you need to put a muzzle on the mouth. Go to the book of James, as it says, you need to bridle that tongue of yours. Keeping that tongue, because that tongue is spitting out life, is spitting out death, and you're just spewing it out over everything that you come across. Gossip, whatever you want to say, because you can say it, it's your freedom, it's your right, and all of a sudden you're spewing out a lot of stuff. It's not edifying, it's destroying. You've ruined relationships because of it, and you don't realize that the problem in all the relationships that have been, have been ruined around you has nothing to really do with everybody else. It's you. But God gives us instructions so we can live. Number two. Number two is a big one. Never take counsel from those who don't take counsel from God. Eve had no business taking counsel from the serpent. If he's in opposition to the word, if you're challenging the word of God, why should I take counsel from you? Don't take counsel from those who do not take counsel from God. A good way you say, well, how will I know? Read the scriptures. You can know what it says for yourself. So you can make sure, no, that doesn't come in alignment with the word of God. So I think something's off there. So I'm going to have to veto that. We can still be cool and stuff. I can still talk to you, but I just can't take advice from you. I'm not going to call you and ask you about my marriage when, you know, you're, you're, your whole mind is focused on just divorce. I'm not going to do that. I'm really focused on having, having, a, having, a, 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 having a sustaining marriage, one that can be maintained, one that can be built, and one that can be edifying to the body, one that my family, my lineage can be proud of. But you're focused on just sleeping around every day. Guess what? I can't take advice from you. Don't take advice from those who don't take advice from God. The third one. A tactic of the enemy is to mix a small dose of lies with truth. The goal is to make what you, should, what, you shouldn't, what you shouldn't have more appealing. Oh, you can eat of it. Just eat a little bit of it. Just, a little, just you know, it, 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 they don't need a lot of deceit. Just a little bit of it. Give you enough of it. Just you can pour some in. You can drink it. It's just a little poison. You won't die. Just drink a little bit of it. Just a teaspoon here, teaspoon there. You keep drinking it. Year after year, year after year, the poison begins to build up. And guess what? Sooner or later, you die. Because the consequence always comes. I tell people, the warning is better than the consequence. The warning is so much better than the consequence, but we don't want to hear the warnings anymore. All we want to hear, all we want to know is just, okay, here's the consequences here. Now I'm sad and I'm hurting. But, you know, there, was, there, there were warnings. The next thing, number four, shame robs us of confidence. I'm going to talk more about that one at the end as well. Shame robs us of confidence. Shame robs us of confidence. It's, I tell people all the time, it's difficult to preach about something that you're practicing privately. It's difficult because you find shame with it, and it robs you of the confidence of the things that, you know, you should be. You, you know the things you should be doing right, but you're not doing those things right. It robs you of the confidence that you should have in Christ. Number five, the voice that once brought comfort becomes dreadful to hear after disobedience. The scripture says that when they heard the voice of the Lord, when they, when they, when, when they heard the feet of the Lord coming in the, in the cool of the day, it says they were fearful. They were afraid. This was the same voice that, in prior, that, that, that prior to the sin, they had no fear in hearing. 
They heard his voice, and they weren't, they weren't afraid of him when he came. They weren't afraid of him when he spoke. Adam was not fearful because God was speaking to him. But the very voice that you want to hear, it becomes dreadful after disobedience. And a lot of us, we find ourselves in that. We're sitting at home. We're afraid to hear the word of God. We're afraid to read the scriptures because we know what our private life is like. We know what we're doing behind the scenes. And, it's, and, and that, that voice that we want to try, try to shut it out. God, don't say anything to me. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I want to keep doing it. God just kind of let me shut you out for just a minute. Number five, number six, guilt makes us cowards and causes us to change our position. Guilt makes us cowards. Sin makes cowards of men. Guilt, I mean, those things, it's just, it makes us cowards. I know people who are like, man, I would do that. I would love to preach. But the problem is, or I would love to do this, I would love to do that, but, but the guilt of what happened makes us cowards and it makes us move from our position. You quit serving because the guilt was too much to bear. And it causes you to move the position. The next thing, I want to go through these because I want to tell you why this bubble coat is so important. Number seven, the voice of opposition always departs after the job is done. It's never there to comfort or restore you after the sin. Notice that after the serpent had, done, had, had, did what he did, had, had already done what he had done, after the sin had, had already happened, the serpent is like, okay, I have no need of you anymore. I used you for what I wanted you. It was kind of like a one-night stand. It's like, okay, I, I took from you what I wanted you. I, I, just, I wanted you as property, and that's all I saw you as, is as a playmate. You were someone that I could just have fun with. And after I've done with you, then I can just move you away. That's what our sex culture has become. That's what pornography is about. It is, it, we, we have we, we fed into this lie as a society that people are just mere properties. It's just, I can just use you as I want to. And after I'm done with you, I can find somebody else to use. And then after I'm done with you, I get finished. And now I'm trying to come into marriage as a whole person without realizing that I've left my heart with a thousand people behind me. And we're trying to figure out we don't have wholeness in marriage. We just left ourselves with the last 25 people we were with in three months. But after, after the sin, after the disobedience, the voice is like, I don't have any need for you anymore. The serpent's like, I'm done with you. God, you can take care of them now. I guess they'll come crying to you. I don't know. Maybe they'll go down to the altar a couple times. But you can handle with them now, God. I'll... I'll deal with them when they leave from the altar. Because once they leave from church anyway, it's not like they're going to learn anything. <laughs> I can wait to get back home. They can shout. They can jump as much as they want to. Because nowadays in the church, it's not the lies we tell once we leave. Most of the lies we tell God are the ones that we sing to him. God, I surrender all. You don't want to surrender all to him. You give him, we, we live with a 10% mentality. We give him 10% of our time, 10% of our money, 10% of, 10% of devotional, just 10%. God, I'm gonna give you the bare minimum. Let me get you enough that I can get by. I can get a good check of you today. I'm good, God. I'm, I'm good. Just, just enough. God, I surrender all. You don't surrender all. God's like, man, quit lying to me. At least be honest. I mean, just tell this, tell the truth. When the song comes on, just say, God, I surrender 20%. <laughs> God, you already know my heart. No reason for me to lie around a bunch of people who need you anyway. So just be honest. Then the last one is that shame convinces us to pass the responsibility to someone else. Now, you heard me mention two things, shame and guilt. And that's what this bubble code is all about. Shame, shame is, is, is more about 
who we are, who, how we see ourselves. Guilt is more about how we saw the thing. So shame says, shame says, you know what? I'm a bad person because this happened. Guilt says I did a bad thing. The reason why this is so, this is so important, I, I kind of tussled with God. I'm like, God, you know, I really don't know what to, what to really teach. And here's the thing. In our world today, we have so many seminaries. I mean, I meet people all the time who have degrees in theology. And many, I mean, they, they've gone to theological school. And most times, every time I meet somebody who goes in, they usually always come out either agnostic or, or atheist. It's crazy. The craziest thing in the world. You went in to learn to find a deeper depth in God, and you came out like, oh, I don't even believe in anything anymore. We have the Bible translated in so many different languages. Our problem in our age, when we stand before Christ, our problem will not be. He will not be able to say to us, I'm sorry, I didn't give you enough. Remember something. Sodom and Gomorrah had no Bibles. But yet we have, we've gone far and above the filthiness in our society. They didn't have schools of theology. They had neology. This is where a man, I mean, our, our, the apostles, they get down on their knees to pray. Notice, notice the disciples did not ask Christ, teach me how to preach. They said, Lord, teach me how to pray. Because in their heart of hearts, they knew there has to be a change on the inside of me. God, something has to happen. And our issue in our world today is that shame and guilt, it is gripping our hearts and it's keeping us from truly living out the purpose and living out the responsibility that God has given us. Because just like me, when I was younger, I was a short, fat kid, short, chubby kid, however you want to put it. Grew up in Mississippi. You know, I'm kind of matriculating through life. My mom and dad and sister, they, they moved to Mississippi. So I'm 13. I have to move too, right? Get to Mississippi, and I start high school there. And you know, I was I was used to when I was in Mississippi. I was used to you know certain words and you know, dude, and yeah, what's up, and all that kind of stuff. And I moved to I moved to Atlanta or the ATL Hotland, however you want to say it. And everybody's like, hey, what up, cuz? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> hey, shawty, I don't I don't know who shawty is. And I'm trying to figure out who Shawty is. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying, I'm trying to dive into a new culture. And now I'm, trying, I'm starting to feel like I don't, I, don't, I don't fit in. God, what's my identity? And I'm searching from that even when I was a child. Searching from that. And, and many men and some women will relate to this. Searching for that in my father. Searching for the affirmation where my dad, although he was present, he was silent. I was searching for him to be proud of me as I played football, searching for him to be proud of me as I played basketball, searching for him to take as much pride in me as he took in the players that he watched on TV. I was searching for identity, searching for affirmation, searching for things, and then the world began to feed me something that I wanted. Pornography began to call out to me late at night, and things in this world began to just pull and tug on me that now I'm beginning to form my identity Behind the veil so I didn't think anybody else can see me. But I walked around my ninth grade school year, I walked around with this big bubble coat on. Now in the wintertime in Atlanta, you still don't need a bubble coat. It doesn't really get that cold. 50 degrees, we start, we start shutting down schools. It's like, look, it might, it might, it might snow rain, so there's no salt anywhere in Georgia, so I'm sorry. No school. But I had on this bubble coat. And I only needed like two days out of the year, but I didn't care. So I just walked around with this bubble coat. Now I'm even, I'm wearing this thing in the spring. 
and it is hot and it is humid and I did not care. And this one time I'm, I'm, I'm wearing this big bubble coat and I'm sitting down in class and this girl who I really liked at the time, she looks over at me and she's like, aren't you hot? And mind you, I have sweat dripping down my face. My shirt is stuck to my chest. I, I know my entire shirt is wet. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sweating so, so bad that the sweat is dripping on my desk. She looks at me, she says, are you hot? I says, absolutely not, I'm not hot. What makes you think I'm hot? Like, stop. <laughs> and she's like, I know you're hot. I'm like, I'm not hot. And, and she looks at me, she says something. She says, we can all see what you're doing. And I look at her, I say, no, you can't. Like, leave me alone. Why are you talking to me? But this whole time, I'm wearing this bubble coat because I'm trying to hide who I was behind it. I'm, this, this, was, this was my outward way to tell everybody, I don't even know who I am. And what we do with this, with this hero complex, and I get it, New York City is about ambition. You came here because you wanted to be somebody, and God's telling you who you are is more important than what you do. But we're so focused on doing that we don't realize we're human beings. And Christ says, I'm giving you an identity, and out of your identity, out of who you be, comes what you do. But we want to go, God, tell me what I do so I can find my identity in my doing. But God said it didn't work that way. Your worth, it doesn't matter because you're an attorney or whether you work on Wall Street. He says, I knew you in your mother's womb. It was then that I put my hand on you. I love you then. But who have you been talking to? Who did you listen to? Has, did the college advisor, are they the people who warped your mind? Was it the RA? Was it the man who raped you? Was it him? Was it that man? Was it the uncle who framed your mind? And why you got on this coat? Adam and Eve, I know you're naked, but where'd these fig leaves come from? What are you covering up? Don't you know I can see it anyway? You're 30 years old. You've been covering this thing up for the past 25 years. I can still see it. Why are you bearing this? And I, let, let, me, let me empathize with you for just a second. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to just suppress suppress over and over again and you never want to deal with problems but can I tell you something you will not you will never conquer what you refuse to confront and the reason why we have why we have very few soldiers on the battlefield of the Lord is because most of them are wounded and most of them are cowards because of the shame and they're saying I'm not worthy and some are saying, God, of the guilt, because I know what I did just last night. Christ is saying, well, there's freedom and love, and I have no condemnation with me. I have conviction to keep you away from the sin, but I'm calling you towards me because there's work to be done inside of my body. But I wore that bubble coat because I wanted, I wanted to feel secure behind something else. It became a security blanket for me. I never forget, my mom finally burned it. She finally just got rid of it. I never forget the first day I went back to school. It's like one kid came up to me and he was like, are you new here? And I'm like, dude, you talked to me yesterday in homeroom. Like I know a coat didn't just like change my whole identity. But he's like, he looked at me and said, I'm so glad you took it off. And I thought, oh, oh, well, praise the Lord. I didn't know I had it on. Leave me alone. But I wore that coat because I was trying to hide something. And I'm telling y'all, Listen to me. I know I can't look at all of y'all in the eyes. I'm trying my best to. I can't do it. These lights like. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you something. 
I'm speaking to each one of you while I'm talking. While I'm talking to everybody. I want to talk to y'all individually. Like a mirror is coming to your face. There's work that needs to be done in our society. This is the time when the church must rise up. This is the moment. And the reason why we can do more things behind a computer screen than we can in person is because the, is because the computer screen and the phone, it becomes an extra added layer so that nobody else has to see who you are. Because while you're tweeting on this side, you're looking up other stuff on this one. And God's saying, no, let me deal with you. Let me deal with you. Come on, come on, David. You need to come inside the cave. You need to sit here for a little while. You need to sit here in this cave, and you need to just be broken with me. Many of us want to be used, but very few of us want to be broken. I, I can submit this to you, man. If you, if you say preaching is down in my heart, I know God's called me to do a great thing in preaching. I'm telling you something. Preachers aren't made in classrooms. Preachers are made in closets. It's in the closet where God breaks your heart. Now, now, in a classroom, you can learn great things about preaching. You can learn all the semantics. You can learn all the hand motions. You can get all the formulas, X, Y, Z. You can learn everything about it. You can learn all the history of the Bible. But I'm telling you something, passion, those things come when God says, I'm breaking your heart for the things that breaks mine. You don't get that in a classroom. That's where you can get used by somebody and you still love them in spite of it because God has broken your heart and he's given you a special type of anointing to be able to deal with difficult people because that's what he does. And if you've ever been broken, you know how to reach broken people. And I'm telling you something. I know what it's like to live with shame, to look at myself in the mirror from, 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 my, from, my, from my ninth grade school year up until the time I got married, I did not take pictures. My wife would always look at me. She said, why don't you have any pictures? And I said, because I hate looking at myself. I said, I don't measure up. I just, I just don't. She's like, babe, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I said, I hate looking at myself. I hate looking at myself in the mirror. I don't like the way I look. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. My wife looks at me. She's like, babe, you, don't, you shouldn't say those things about yourself. And I'm like, but they're true. I had anger and bitterness and, and all type of things in my heart. And the whole time, I'm just covering these things up with a bubble coat. I'm covering them up with fig leaves. Mind you, in high school, I was class president. I was voted most likely to succeed, but they didn't realize the same kid who looked like he had it all together was the main one who was struggling the most. Yeah. Struggling with my identity, struggling with what I like, who I like, where I liked it. Struggling with what I would find out at night when I left work at 1, 2 a.m. And instead of going straight home, I was going to other places trying to find something that could please me one more time. Searching and yearning for some type of fulfillment in the world. And the world is constantly saying, come, I can give you something else. But God's saying, no, boy, come to me. I got what you need. And you know what we do? You know what we do? We seek, him, we seek him long enough until we get tired. People always ask me, well, Cornelius, how long should I seek him? I tell you, man, listen to me. You seek him long enough until you finally see the breakthrough happen. Yeah. Seek me and you'll find me. That's a promise. Knock, the door will be open. Ask and you shall find. I'll answer it for you. These are promises in his word. But I kept on the bubble coat. And before I came to the knowledge of the truth, before I came to that knowledge, man, I was, I, now, now, I don't have time to tell you all these stories, but now I have some of them in my book, Suffering in Silence, and some other books I think I have out there, but I was involved in Satanism, and the crazy thing is, I wanted to go into politics. I mean, that would have been a perfect thing, right? 
<laughs> I was involved in Satanism. And then I found a little pamphlet on the ground that says, if you want a free Bible, call this number. So I figured I'm going to call the number, invite them to my dorm room, and I'm going to, I'm going to debate back and forth with them. Turned out they were Mormons. I, be, I got baptized in the Mormon church. You want to know why? Because they had pizza on Mondays, and I was a college student. I wanted pizza. I was baptized in the Mormon church. I was as clear as day, baptized in the Mormon church. I'm standing up. I'm getting ready to give a sermon. It's just clear as day. I'm giving the message. I have the thing in front of me, and I'm reading it verbatim, a sermon. I just, I, I printed off, a message I printed off offline, and I'm reading the whole thing, and I'm reading it verbatim. And all of a sudden, I don't even know where this came from. I said, in the name of Jesus, the elder stood up in the, in the front row. He said, he said, Cornelius, please be seated. And I was like, dude, I don't even know where that came from. I'm so sorry. Can I still have pizza? <laughs> he tells me to sit down. He goes over and he says, we're sorry for our brother's outburst. And he goes on and on and on. And I'm thinking to myself, like, where in the world is this coming from? Uh, the, it was a young lady I was dating at the time. She invited me to go to a church service. I'm sitting there in the Wednesday night church service. I got my arms crossed. I sat in the back. I didn't bring my wallet in because I already knew just in case the preacher asked me if I wanted to give anything. I didn't have to lie. I left my wallet in the car. Honest to God, truth. I have my arms crossed. I'm sitting there. I'm listening. I'm like, this all is a bunch of garbage anyway. He's probably using my money to go and, you know, pay for another jet or something. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing in his life. I don't know what I'm doing with mine. It's just all a lie. And I'm sitting there, my arms crossed. I didn't listen to a word in the sermon. At the end of it, all he, he started talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, there's somebody sitting here right now, and you are so lost, and you're, and you're in complete darkness. And I'm, I remember sitting there, and I was thinking, like, like oh, maybe that's me. Then he goes on, he talks about some more, and then he says, if you're here right now, I want you to just get up. And I said, I'm not getting up. This is what my mind is saying. And all of a sudden, my legs are like, get up. So I stand up. And he's like, I want you to come down front. And I'm like, I'm not walking down front. And all of a sudden, I start walking down front. <laughs> the girl I went and that, that, I, that, I, that I went with, she's over at me, and she's like crying, like, oh, my God, he's getting saved. He's so mean. Because I was mean. I was like double step past, past the devil. Like, I was super mean. And I'm down there front, and I'm like, okay. What do I do? And he's like, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm like, whatever, I can do it, I guess. And I go up, and then they're like, okay, I want you to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he started praying and stuff. And I'm like, this is, this is weird. I don't know what's going on. I didn't understand any of that stuff at the time. But it was a progression where it's like layer by layer, God was ripping stuff off of me. When I was in college, real quick story, and then we're going to get to the end of this. When I was in college... <clears throat> I, had the, I, I ran for office of senator on campus at the University of Georgia. Yeah, go dogs. Woo. I, I dropped out of college, so I can't really say too much of that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But woo, go. Woo, sick them, sick them. But, <laughs> but I, was, I was there in college, man. So I ran for senator of Franklin College of Arts and Design, and I'm, I'm there, and, and I, actually, I actually won. And the party that I ran with, the name of the party was Vote Naked. Now, could you imagine on a college campus exactly what the party name was? That's what a lot of people did. It got a lot of people in trouble. That's a problem. <laughs> but nevertheless, the whole idea of the party was to remove the excess layers and return back to what's important. And I did not realize that at the time that I was doing that, that that would ring so true for me personally. And I'm saying to each and every one of you that this, that, that this evening, you have to remove the excess layers and return back to what's important. Yeah. And the beginning of that begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every head, every, every eye closed, every head bowed, please. Let me say this to you. I want you to listen to me carefully. Many of us, we know the good news. Many of us know the good news, but very few of us do we know the bad news. 
The bad news is, is that damnation, damnation was intended for each and every one of us. The bad news is that judgment has already, had already come. Yes, for God so loved the world he, that he sent his only begotten son. But verse 19 says that men love darkness because of their evil. Now the judgment is already here. The bad news is that we were supposed to drink the cup of wrath. The good news is that Jesus Christ has already done that for us. The bad news is that we're supposed to be condemned in shame and guilty for the rest of our lives. The good news is that Jesus Christ has now set us free. But no man is now condemned in Jesus Christ. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in guilt. We don't have to live with this false freedom that we're telling ourselves, fooling ourselves that everything is all right when we know that it's not. The bad news, the bad news is, is that the enemy didn't want you to hear this tonight. Because he knows the threat that could come. If just the group of people in this room really got serious about their relationship and their calling with the Lord Jesus Christ, if they really got serious about the commission, the Lord Jesus Christ took a few men and they turned the whole world upside down. Think what could happen if we mobilized just in this room with the gospel message to turn the whole world upside down. Our community needs it. You don't have to go too far. You don't have to send missionaries across the world. Send them to Times Square. Send them to Brooklyn. Send them to Bronx. But the bad news, the bad news is that we're lost, but the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to set us free. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Church Podcast. If you are in New York City or will be visiting the New York area soon, please be our guest on Sunday. For service times and locations, please visit libertychurchnyc.com.